Hello, and welcome to The Link Podcast, the industry's link to learn, innovate news and knowledge in global supply chain intelligence, hosted by food logistics and supply and demand chain executive. We cover everything from transportation and warehousing trends and new technologies to food safety and sustainability impacting today's supply chains. I am Brielle Jekyll, Associate Editor of Food Logistics and SDCE, and I am continuing this month's theme of spirits and alcohol distribution um, with a little sit down with Sourced Craft Cocktail CEO, Tim Angelillo, about online cocktail sales during the pandemic. And uh, after that, I speak with Khalid Naeem, who's the co-founder and CEO of OnFleet, about how technology was able to help uh, source craft cocktails make a dramatic operation strategy shift in the middle of a pandemic. So let's link into those conversations now. Hi, everyone. I'm here with Tim Angelillo uh, of Sourced Craft Cocktails. He's the founder and CEO, and we are talking cocktails during COVID today. Uh, more specifically, we're talking about the logistics and distribution because that is why we are all here. Um, so thanks so much, Tim. I hope I didn't put your last name. Thank you for coming on. Oh, it is my pleasure. You did a great job, and that's why I just go by Tim, your bartender, with a last <laughs> name like that. <laughs> but it's, a, it's an honor and a privilege to, to join you and your audience today to talk about a little bit about the logistics of how you deliver the largest craft cocktail delivery business in the country. Yeah, I'm, as I was setting up everything for you to come on, I was thinking, man, I really should have ordered a cocktail so we can have had cocktails while we do this. <laughs> We'll have to fix that next time, and it's a big part of what we do for enterprise uh, accounts. We have a product called Source Socials, which is a real but virtual happy hour. So the way it works is the office manager um, curates a menu uh, based on whatever the company is celebrating. Um, they go on to our website on a private vanity URL. Uh, the employee picks his or her cocktails based off of that curated menu. We deliver all the cocktail kits to the employee's front door, and then everybody at five o'clock joins on Zoom, uh, and we do a cocktail demonstration where we teach people how to make that specific cocktail that we're all sharing, the history of the cocktail, what the ingredients are, where the spirit came from, a virtual distillery tour of that spirit specifically, um, cocktail Q&A. And my favorite part is I get to ask the audience questions, which is we play cocktail trivia. And whomever in the company that is participating in the Source Social gets it right, gets a promotional code to have a free Sourcecraft cocktail kit that they can find at sourcecraftcocktails.com. So next time, you'll have to come join us for one of our Source Socials. Absolutely. That is so cool. And we actually, my whole team is remote. Um, so we would absolutely love to do something like that. That's, that's cool. That's exactly what we're built for. We're built for how do you keep company culture uh, in a remote work environment um, due to the pandemic, right? Uh, and so one way to do it is um, what the internet was trying to get at when it invented the virtual happy hour in March, right? As we all went to shelter in place is it was trying to get at the camaraderie of that shared experience. Um, so if you think about it, right, when you're at a bar and somebody says, let's do a shot, everybody does the same shot, right? Because that's part of the camaraderie. Uh, and so 
the part that we were able um, to sort of help the internet and help our enterprise accounts in technology companies, service companies, and real estate companies uh, be able to solve for is one, the shared nature. So it's the same cocktail menu and it's the same cocktail kit. So everyone's doing the same thing at the same time, albeit virtually. And then two is we solve what we call the Groundhog's Day problem, right? Because we're all stuck at home and we've been stuck at home for nine months, that movie never made so much sense, right? It's like, oh my God, it's the same day uh, again. Uh, and so part of the programming is we're teaching people the intricacies of cocktails and cocktail making at home and where the spirit came from and how it was made and what the distillery looked like. And so it's something different that didn't happen yesterday and isn't going to happen tomorrow. And it kind of makes that half an hour, an hour together with your team a shared experience because we're all sharing the same cocktail and it makes it something unique that didn't happen yesterday and won't happen again tomorrow. Uh, and so that's why we've done over 350 of these source socials uh, over the last five months. That's really cool. And it's absolutely right up my alley. I mean, we were talking about this a little before offline um, about, you know, the cool spice pumpkin, uh, the Bacardi uh, ice pumpkin latte. Um, and all these other really cool drinks that I would love to try. Um, but the first thing I have to absolutely ask you is what is your go-to go cocktail? Mm, I love that question. What is my go-to cocktail? Um, I'm sure you get it. No, no, it's a great question. Um, and I'm gonna give you a two-part answer. For me, a little bit depends on time of day. Um, so if it's gonna be um, sometime uh, during the day, you know, uh, brunch, afternoon, those kind of things, I like something lighter. Uh, and what I mean by that is a little lighter in taste profile and a little lighter in alcohol content, uh, meaning I don't want something too strong. Uh, I'm blessed to, um, you know, help lead a rapidly expanding startup and I have three kids. So uh, for me, I want to have fun, but not too much fun. So I like a French 75 variation, um, which is which is classically uh, gin, fresh lemon juice, a little bit of simple syrup and topped with a Prosecco. Um, we have a great, actually, Tangeray French 75 called the Cinnamon Twist 75, which uh, has a homemade uh, cinnamon syrup to it and gives it a real seasonal fall taste profile. Um, if it's at night, I like a more spirit-forward cocktail. Um, I refer to it as now we're really drinking. Uh, <laughs> So um, I'm going to have an old-fashioned variation. Um, and right now, um, my favorite old-fashioned variation on our menu is the Texas Pecan Old Fashioned. Uh, it uses real um, homemade pecan bitters that we got out of San Saba, Texas, which is way out west. Uh, we're based in Austin, uh, albeit in 10 other markets as well. But um, we like – we take – um, a lot of time and energy uh, thinking through how we source the ingredients and making sure that we're sourcing the finest ingredients for all three components of a cocktail, the ethanol, the spirit, uh, the acidity, uh, and the sweetness. Uh, and so that Texas pecan has a great homemade molasses and a really good pecan bitters uh, with a bourbon that's a, just a really uh, kind of fun, unique take on an old-fashioned yeah, I, I love stuff like that. And I'm a very seasonal, seasonal person. You know, I love my pumpkin spice in the fall and I love my spicy margaritas in the summer. Um, so I, this is, I love this. Um, but I want to uh, get into a little bit about the back end of the business um, and about the backstory of, of what basically happened during lockdown. So um, right now you, you guys are setting up bartenders 
with consumers. So essentially you're the in-between guy between these bartenders and local retailers and the consumer, right? Absolutely. So our North Star is to be of service. Uh, that's why hundreds of people work uh, for Sourcecraft Cocktails is that we want to be of service to the consumer uh, by making cocktails available from their phone to their door. We also want to be of service to the hospitality industry. Uh, so we are actually putting out-of-work bartenders back to work while their main place of business is either closed, the bar, physically closed by state governor orders, or dramatically reduced in its capacity, which means a lot less people have an employment opportunity. Uh, and we're putting them back to work in a number of different ways. The first way is for the creative itself. Uh, so we're paying highly trained mixologists for their ideas, uh, for the cocktail creative itself. So we didn't come up with the Tangeray Cinnamon Twist 75. We worked with a great bartender in New York, Miss Dakota, and we paid her for her time and talent like you would pay an artist because that is exactly what she is in our opinion. Um, the second way is we're paying out-of-work bartenders in each of our commercial kitchens in each city that we service, all the major DMAs uh, in the United States, New York, San Francisco, LA, Dallas, Miami, et cetera. Uh, and we're paying them to actually make the non-alcoholic mixers. Uh, so they're made fresh that day and they're delivered three hours later. Uh, and then lastly, and kind of our biggest employment uh, opportunity for out-of-work bartenders is we're paying them to actually deliver the cocktail. So your bartender is always taking great pride in delivering you a cocktail. Normally, it was across 18 inches of a wood bar, uh, and now it's in a car delivering it all the way to your home so that it's safe for you and for her. Uh, and so we're really proud of the fact that over the last five months, we've paid out over $500,000 uh, in shift fee uh, to our driver network, which is out-of-work bartenders uh, making a livable wage uh, still delivering your cocktails, albeit in a very 2020 manner. Right. I mean, I've worked in the restaurant industry for over a decade. Um, and luckily, you know, that I just do that essentially to keep in, to, for extra cash and, and to keep in touch with the people I work with because I love working there. Um, but, you know, once COVID hit, I had the luxury of saying no because I have a full-time job. Um, but other people don't. And yeah, I, I've watched them struggle and it's really hard. So this is great, you know, to have something for the bartenders to do because it's even worse for them. I mean, you know, the restaurant industry is able to do takeout and stuff like that. But um, with bartending, it's not so easy. Yeah, it's not so easy because um, if you think about 25% of capacity, right? Um, if you had four bartenders, if you own the bar and you have four bartenders on shift pre-pandemic and you only have 25% capacity, you're only going to have one. I mean, that means three people are still out of work. And the other challenge is because the consumer is still uncomfortable to some extent in physically going out to a restaurant. Um, you know, that bartender's average wage is $2 and 33 cents, depending on the state. Right. And which means they're fully, um, you know, dependent on gratuity, uh, which means if there's less people and they're less comfortable and they're staying for less time, they're not quite having as much fun because they're a little uncomfortable. Um, it, it really, even the one person who did get a shift back is having a really hard time. And so that's why from even the founding of Source five years ago, all the way to tonight, um, we've always paid $20 an hour guaranteed upfront for a five hour shift, whether you were working behind one of our bars in a live event format or you're 
in a car driving our cocktail kits. Uh, in today's world, we, we pay $20 an hour for five-hour shift guaranteed, plus a gratuity, plus a travel uh, transportation reimbursement. So we're paying you for the gas or the toll or the subway, depending on what market you're in. So you're really taking home all of the shift fee and any of the gratuity that the consumer is gracious enough uh, to provide um, either on a credit card or in cash at the door. So I'm really interested in how does everything get from A to B to C? So how, mm-hmm. how is the bartender getting the alcohol? How is the cocktail being made? And then I know you've said that the bartender is bringing it to their door, but how, how does all of that work? That's a great, that's a great question. Uh, so we own the last one mile. Um, and you know, for the last five years, we always wanted to own the last one mile of the delivery. Uh, and there are a lot of different times over the last five years, people have asked like, ah, oh, why don't you guys, you know, outsource that you, you go to, there are other great technology companies, DoorDash, um, Uber Eats, Amazon, et cetera. Like why, why is it so important to you guys to go through the amazing amount of energy and challenges of actually building the last one mile in 11 different cities across America? And the reason why is because of our North star, like we want to be of service and there are two different sides that we're servicing. We're servicing the consumer so that we've made it fun and convenient to have a cocktail at home. Right. But we want that cocktail to taste like you were sitting at employees only or the Roosevelt room or the varnish or aviary, one of the greatest cocktail bars in the country. Uh, And so in order to do that, we had to actually control the entire process end to end from creative development of what the cocktail would be in terms of its ingredients all the way down to it got to your house before dinner. Uh, And so we built the last one mile and, and wanted to own that and wanted to build a logistics engine underneath the company to be able to make sure the highest possible quality was getting to the consumer. On the other side, when you think about the alcohol industry, the number one marketing tactic for a supplier, right, an actual alcohol brand is sampling. The industry refers to it as liquid to lips. No consumer buys a $40 bottle of gin that they haven't tried once and had a good time with. And you're talking about brands that spend hundreds of millions of dollars a year globally in marketing to build their brand and position it in a very specific way with a very specific taste profile with a very specific cocktail strategy. So in order to be of service to making sure that the brands are receiving a quality tasting experience, we needed to make sure that we were actually controlling everything in the production end to end. And so for us, what enables that is our technology stack. So we are a consumer packaged goods company, right? We're a consumer experience company. We deliver a physical product, an actual flawless craft cocktail, but we are fully tech enabled. And without being tech enabled, we wouldn't be able to service the 792% year over year demand increase that we're experiencing from 19 to 2020 without our tech stack. So for us, it's the combination of a great e-commerce platform in Shopify with a great ERP solution in Katana with the perfect routing software in OnFleet. And so we took three different software systems, custom built um, a significant amount of middleware to tie them all together and make them function 
perfectly for our business specifically and can control the consumer digital experience on the front end. We can control the order management and inventory production in the middle. And then we can control the routing all the way down on fleet, being able to alert our customer how far away their driver is from that front door. So you took my next question. <laughs> um, I was going to say, I know that once quarantine was in full swing and, and you switched your business around that, that eventually it got up to 2000 individual home order own orders a week. Um, and obviously you took on, you need technology to do that because it's almost impossible. Um, and a lot of the podcasts and, and the articles I've written, um, everyone's talking about how technology can help this stuff and fill the gaps during COVID. But it, I'm very excited to hear from somebody who has done it because you hear from the technology providers and stuff like that, but it's, you rarely hear from somebody who's implementing these new technologies in such a hectic time. And I'm glad that you touched on the personalization of it because I'm someone who thinks that that's a huge part of, uh, technology success and failure is if it has to be customized or at least it has to fit well with the operation. But can you um, kind of tell me what it was like, how you were able to implement all this technology during such a hectic time? Absolutely. So I, I'll refer back to, um, you mentioned almost impossible without uh, technology. Uh, I would, um, for us, our experience would be you, we would remove the almost part. Like okay. it would fundamentally be impossible without having built our tech stack. There's just no way to service tens of thousands of orders across the country over a menu that has three different product lines and 42 different cocktail options, right? right. It just, just the supply chain alone would eat you alive without having built the right technology solution. And we I'm really blessed on, on sort of two fronts. Um, the first piece is, um, you know, a lot, I'm sure a lot of your guests um, are all talking about rapidly scaling and acceleration and, you know, uh, innovative growth and, and those kinds of buzzwords. And we've been really blessed in that we've been living that like we would like what rapidly scaling feels like that is what we've been living the last five years. So our company's always grown uh, by triple digits year over year. Uh, and this year will be our largest growth will grow six times faster than any other year prior. Uh, and so we've been really fortunate to have built something that was um, at the right time in the right place for the consumer. Uh, and that's something that, that I'm very grateful for. On the other side, when you talk about like, okay, how do you implement the technology? Um, the second place I've been extremely fortunate is without a doubt, and I've been in the alcohol industry a long time, uh, but in no point in my career have I ever had a better management team and physical team at Sourced. Uh, and it, it, we just truly have the best in-house team in the alcohol industry. Uh, and it's a, a group of people that are very committed to the mission uh, of being of service. It's a group of people that understand our core values, what we call the three T's, trust, transparency, and tenacity. Uh, and it's a group of people that truly want to take the moment that people gather, either in person or virtually, and turn it into a memory. And the way that we do that is the first thing anyone asks for, whether they show up in person or they get on a virtual happy hour, is they ask, what are we drinking? 
right? And so we're trying to make that very first thing that you have, the cocktail itself, unique and customized to why you got together. Because what happens to the consumer is they think, wow, that's amazing. I've never had a pecan old fashioned for a virtual happy hour. This is the first one in six months that actually feels like it's going to be cool. Mm -hmm. I wonder what else is cool here. And then the rest of the programming happens, right? But you've mentally given people and put them into a space of tonight's different, tonight's special, tonight's cool, right? And that lets the memory actually be formed around all the other things that will happen for the rest of your time on Zoom or the rest of your time in person together. And so for us, it was really a combination of the demand was there uh, and we built a, a company that was very clear from day one what its North Star was and what its values were going to be. And I was able to recruit truly one of the greatest teams I've ever worked with in the alcohol industry or seen in the alcohol industry uh, so that we were able to actually um, capitalize on that mission and on that demand. When you started with all this technology and it was kind of a change from the way you were doing things before, how did your team handle that? Yeah. I was also very fortunate in that my background's a little bit unique. Uh, I spent uh, the first 10 years of my career in the media technology space. I had the opportunity to lead five divisions at Yahoo, including their e-commerce business. So I had a pretty big high-tech background uh, from Silicon Valley. I spent the next 10 working in each of the three tiers of the alcohol industry. So for us being able to build the technology to actually optimize uh, the business, we we were just really lucky that my personal career track had, had sort of one foot in both worlds, um, which is, which is sort of why we knew five years ago that we were going to build what we thought the alcohol industry was going to need in the future, which was a curated e-commerce platform. Uh, And so for us, I, I just personally had that history and that background. So we had a pretty good handle vision-wise. I think the most important, uh, and it doesn't matter if you're a startup or you're inside of a big company, the most important thing when you're trying to implement new technology is if you don't have user buy-in, you are wasting your time and the company's money. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, for us, the most important person to start with was our internal operations teams and literally doing user research with them as the user. We did not start with the customer. We started in-house with the user, which is tell me about your process and show me where it slows down, right? If you need to go from 10 cocktail kits today to 100 cocktail kits in a month to 1,000 cocktail kits in six weeks, to 10,000 cocktail kits in six months, right? That's the kind of growth rate we're experiencing. Where is the process not working for you? And let me see what I can do to build a piece of technology that automates it. Uh, and so we, I think the sometimes, particularly in the founder role, I think we get very, very focused on the external, mm-hmm. rightly so, right? You need the revenue, you need the traction to fundraise, those kinds of things. But I think sometimes we get so focused on the external that we forget that the, the, the product has to work for your internal teams or you're never going to be able to actually handle the demand. Right. Uh, and so for us, I think the, the core insight um, that we, we would share that I hope is helpful for others is start with your own internal folks as the user. And, and I'll take it one step further, if I, if I may, to make it a little more um, 
practical as opposed to theoretical. Mm -hmm. The way we did that was we literally built an entire mirror tech stack that was never available to the public. And we made our own teams be both the consumer and the in-house divisions. So we built an entire test tech stack and basically R&D it in-house. We refer to it as the dog fooding phase. And what we mean by that is inside of our test environment, we're eating our own product. And if it tastes like dog food, it's not yet ready to serve to anyone else. And so there have been a lot of things along the way as we were building our tech stack where we went, nope, that's yeah. not going to work. Or nope, which I, which I think is the last thing that I'd state as, as, again, something that's hopefully helpful for others that we found true in our experience, particularly when it's a logistics business like ours, right? A lot of, you know, half of our employees are, are, have operations backgrounds. Um, and so they're very used to predictability and they're very used to stability and they have to have those things to be able to run a scaling supply chain. Without them, it's just utter chaos. Uh, which is which is unproductive and unhealthy for the organization and the people. Um, and so I think the one other part that you really have to make sure that the team is aware of and that the team is prepared for is that technology is not like a light switch, right? Because as consumers, we're so used to Apple, right? Like I opened the box and not only did I turn it on and it all worked, but I turned it on and it was at full power, right? You know? Like that. They, they level set the bar really, really high. And so I think it's important, particularly when you're talking about ERPs uh, or routing or logistics tracking, any of those types of technology stacks, you have to make sure that the team knows that there, there's one fancy, you know, Stanford PhD word that everybody has to kind of wrap their head around, which is the word iterate. And, and the way we describe it in our organization is like, look, the first time you made that first Texas pecan old fashioned and it had too much homemade molasses in it and was too sweet. And you tried, decided to try again and make the next one and then the next one and then the next one until you made 15. And then you were confident that that was something we could put our name and your name behind. The same is true of technology. Right. The first implementation is not going to be flawless. Uh, it wasn't for Apple. You're seeing Apple's 50th try because they tried it 49 times or more internally before it got to you, the consumer. And I think that's just important to level set people in your company that don't have a technology background because they're consumers of technology. They think that it just pops out of the box. Perfect. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think getting them to understand and making it relatable, right? For us, that was when you come up with our seasonal quarterly menu, the first cocktail you came up with is never on our menu. Now, the idea of that cocktail may end up on our menu, but you went through 10 to 15 different variations until you said, that's it, that's our brand, and that's going to be a great experience. And you have to find a way to relate. The technology is going to work the same way, which is we're going to launch, and then we're going to iterate, and we're going to ask you to be patient, giving us feedback until we can get it all the way to bright. Right. That's a huge... Um, a huge aspect of uh, implementation when I talk to technology providers is, you know, working and talking with the ground level employees and, and what are the pain points of their job and how they want to use technology. That is the best way to implement it. It's the, the, you'll see the most flawless results that way um, because, you know, you're, 
it's their job and the, the better technology helps them with their job, the better it is for everyone. And people get, Absolutely. people get so scared of automation um, because they think it's replacing human jobs. But if done correctly, I know my, my listeners are probably so sick of hearing this because I, I bring it up every episode. But if you're using technology in tandem with your employees, it's such, um, such a game changer. Um, and I know, it, it, you know, it's really crazy to see um, how it is unfortunate how some sectors, uh, you know, in the world right now are struggling because of COVID, but how the logistics sector is really um, going. <laughs> it's really moving forward. I, I spoke to a 3PL a couple, like in the beginning of uh, quarantine and he, his business, they had to hire 100 employees within a week just to, or, or I'm sorry, a thousand employees within a week just to be able to handle the extra loads. And that's with new technology implementation. So really I, I think on the technology side, um, you, you can gain two very important things with the right tech stack that doesn't require you to fire anyone. Number one is uh, productivity, right? The, the, the company can become more efficient meaning it can go through for in our little world, right? It can go through more cocktail kits in a day in an individual market. In, in our case, in some cases by tenfold, right? Which, which makes you more efficient uh, and it makes you more productive, which makes the bottom line grow. On the employee side, you can make it more fun, right? Meaning some of the tedious parts, right? Finding an order and copying and pasting it into a spreadsheet so the ops manager knows what cocktail to make. That is a tedious job that mm -hmm. no one really likes, right? Because it's just repetitive over and over and over and over and over again, right? Where an ERP can do that and it can do it a lot faster and you can deploy that very talented individual onto something that's strategic, right? A new process in which to bring the supply chain in. Discussing with the vendors, what the quantity we really need because now the technology is telling us what our yield curve should be to improve the price of the base raw product goods, right? It's not the person leaves, it's the person has the information. And the most important thing, because everybody talks about big data, big data, and I, I was at Yahoo, right? We had 800 million people a day use Yahoo's platform. Check email, get a stock quote on Yahoo Finance, play Yahoo Fantasy Football, 800 million people a day worth of data. But if the data isn't actionable, it is worthless. And I would take it one step further. Not only is it worthless, it's debilitating. Because there's so much data, you can't figure out, like, how to read it. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. God, you know, am I going the right way or the wrong way? The data says this, the data says that. I'm not sure which way to go, which leaves businesses stuck, right? Uncertainty equals neutral, right? And what we argue at Sourced is neutral is the equivalent of going backwards, right? Just because you're not actually in reverse, Stuck in neutral, the world's still going forward. So you're still getting further behind. So in our book, you are going backwards, right? And by building the technology to increase the productivity and the efficiency on the company side, right? And make the job that the strategic employee is doing more fun because you're giving her actionable data that can have a bigger impact than just a copy-paste job, you end up with a win-win. You end up with a happier team Mm -hmm. And you end up with a more uh, profitable business. Right. 
So we are running out of time because, you know, Zoom has the limit. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for having um, me. Are there any other questions I could answer for you? I or your do. Listeners? I just want to ask you one um, last thing. For specifically on the logistics side, what do you think the future will be like for sourced and for alcohol delivery post-COVID? You know, has this changed everything for the future? Yeah, we, it's a great question. I appreciate that question. Thank you. Um, and thanks again for having us. Um, the way we view it is the future is now. So e-commerce and this consumer packaged goods industry, alcohol, we're going to have their moment of reckoning, mm-hmm. right? In the same way that bookstores did, in the same way that grocery stores did, in the same way that apparel retail, retail stores did, right? Like this, this was this trend was already in process. Right. And what the pandemic did is it made it right now. Uh, and the reality is it's gone on and will continue to go on for in total, gosh, let's hope not more than a year and a half and end, right? But a year and a half is such a long amount of time that you will see a fundamental consumer behavior shift that's never going back, right? The fact that you can order a cocktail from your phone to your door and it tastes just as good as if you were sitting in the bar. And oh, by the way, it costs half what it costs mm-hmm. to actually have in the bar. People aren't going to go back. Now, I'm not saying people aren't going to want to gather, right? And Source will play a role in that uh, in unlicensed venues, right? Homes, office buildings, those kinds of things. But I think the idea of I'm going to order alcohol on my phone, uh, that genie is now out of the bottle for tens of millions of Americans, uh, and it's never going back. And so for us, it's really a question of, I'll I'll leave you, your listeners with, with sort of a statistic from Bloomberg news, uh, last week, week before last, Mm -hmm. the alcohol industry is $120 billion a year, U S marketplace that is literally recession proof. And it has proved it again in the middle of the pandemic, right? The sale of alcohol is up. Across the board, right? So you have a $120 billion a year monster that is quite literally never declined since 1933. Right now, e-commerce was only 2% of that marketplace. And in the next 24 months, it's going to be 20% according to Bloomberg News. And so for us, it's really about how do you make sure utilizing the logistics technology How do you make sure that as you go through that incredibly blessed, wildly rapid growth expansion, that the quality of the experience never drops one iota? And that's really going to be the part that we're going to have to focus on. And I think we'll work harder in the next two years than we worked in the first five. Even though the first five of any business's life cycle are brutally hard, right? We invented something new. You could order a cocktail from your phone. That was... No one had ever done it before. That's, a, you know, you started from quite literally scratch, created a marketplace. Really, really challenging to do that in any industry, certainly in ours, right? But I think the next two years are going to be the most important, uh, the most fun, and the most challenging in our history because we're going to have to figure out how to scale like that and make sure that every experience from what you see at SourceCraftCocktails.com to the fact that it arrived on time with four messages, text messages to you on its way to your front door. Uh, and it tastes exactly like employees only as you're sitting in Soho in lower Manhattan. 
right? One of the best craft cocktail bars in the city, right? And so it's how do you handle that scale and not have any slippage in the experience itself? And the only answer uh, is twofold. A lot of tenacity, right? And a really flexible tech stack. Mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah, absolutely true. I completely agree with you. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for having us. We've enjoyed being with you. Next time we will uh, do this with cocktails in hand. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you for coming on. Wonderful. I hope you have a good rest of your day. Thanks so much. Welcome back, everyone. I'm here with Khaled Naeem from OnFleet so we can get a different angle at what the implica implication or implementation of new technology into source craft cocktails operation actually look like. Um, so hi, thank you for coming on and joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. No problem. So the first thing I wanna ask is what goes into implementing a new technology into an already established business like sourced craft cocktails? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it starts with identifying a specific problem. So for a company with a fleet that's scaling rapidly, the problem is, is often simply having visibility across the fleet of drivers. Um, but for some organizations, they might care more about, you know, say efficiency of routes so they can squeeze in more stops per driver. Um, so, you know, often what's more important depends on the margins of the particular business. So that's kind of step one is, is obviously, you know, what's the problem and, and really understanding um, what it is for, for this particular business and then, you know, how best to solve the problem, right? So is it a process improvement or is it a tool uh, or some combination of the two? Um, and what are all the elements that that tool should have? Um, does it need to integrate with anything out of the box? Um, does it need to support CSV imports because that's currently how we're doing things um, and I don't have the capacity uh, or engineering resources to build a direct API integration? Um, does it need something like scheduled route optimization? So really, you know, build a checklist. Um, what's, what's a must have versus a nice to have and then think about the budget. Um, and then, you know, research all the potential options available um, in the market to solve your problem and then choose the solution and the right plan, you know, for, for your needs, um, you know, choosing sort of uh, the best op option that solves um, all of the problems that, that you sort of outlined previously. And then, you know, going and getting all the all the stakeholders on board. So for some products like OnFleet, uh, full adoption is really needed across the board to make it effective. So really spending time, you know, communicating uh, why uh, the, the organization is adopting a solution uh, across the board so everyone really understands and, and can get behind it. And then um, in the case of OnFleet, all the drivers need to, to get the app. Uh, it's a very intuitive app, so it's really you know easy to get everyone on board. But dispatchers may need a bit more training, so you know that needs to be that needs to be done properly. Um, training and, and making sure that everyone knows how to use the tool effectively. Um, in OnFleet's case, many of our customers build API integrations uh, as well. So you know in that case. Um, uh, the business might need to think about what is really the minimum viable integration, what's absolutely needed before a go live, um, and you know, can can additional integration work wait? Often, um, in the case of OnFleet, there's a really simple 
initial integration that can be done, and then you can kind of improve on it over time. And properly scoping that integration for your developers is, is really important. Um, uh, and many of our customers even start out with just a simple CSV import, so they don't need an integration at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a ton of documentation available publicly, which, which helps uh, our customers get onboarded quickly. And then yeah. you know, you're off to the races. And from here, it's just a continuous improvement process, um, you know, learning how to take advantage of other features, becoming a product expert, enhancing mm-hmm. the integration, and, and sharing any feedback with the company. So basically, if you're a driver or somebody, or say a sourced craft cocktail employee, and, and you want to know more about the technology, and you know you have a question, you can just look online and you'll find all that information online? Exactly, yeah. We have a fully documented support center. We have our API docs publicly available. Um, and if anything isn't there, then we have our support team standing by to help answer any questions. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Uh, that's great. I, I think I mentioned this with my conversation with Tim, but I know that so many people say that uh, making sure it's user-friendly is one of the most important parts of onboarding technology and integrating it with a, an already established business. It is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we put a lot of emphasis in user experience and, and, and design at OnFleet. We had our very first hire when we started the company was a designer. Um, and that's really, you know, in our, it's really in our DNA. Um, we have a user experience researcher on the team now as well who, who really goes, um, you know, and tries to understand um, use cases and challenges that our customers need to solve and, and, and kind of figuring out the best way to integrate that into the product. So having an intuitive solution really makes it a lot easier to onboard new customers and for them to kind of get up and running quickly. Um, and for us, you know, we've always been a really lean team or a small team. And so being able to build um, intuition and user friendliness into the product um, saves us from, from having to answer support tickets. So it just makes things easier. Right. For everyone. Yeah. So Tim from Sourced says that some of its new technology, such as OnFleet, made it actually possible to keep up with demand, but how does that actually work? How does that really help it them be able to handle all that extra demand in such a short amount of time? Yeah, with OnFleet, um, it comes down to automation and optimization. So, you know, when, when, when doing something on a small scale, um, a manual unoptimized process is fine. It gets the job done. Um, and at that point, you're also really not worried about process improvement. You're more concerned with establishing the customer need, uh, ensuring you know, that you're delivering a great product or service, et cetera. So um, in the early days, you know, not as important. But at some point, in our case, generally when a business exceeds just a handful of drivers and is starting to do real volume, then you need to think about the optimization and scaling step, which is where OnFleet comes in. Uh, in the case of Sourcecraft cocktails, they went from doing, I think, around 20 deliveries to businesses every week to 2,000 deliveries to consumers basically overnight mm-hmm. um, because of a change in business model in their case. So to support that transition, you know, we, we allow businesses like them to optimize and plan efficient routes, dispatch delivery stops to drivers instantly so they're not having to you know, send them an email or print out a paper manifest. Um, we allow them to track the driver locations and communicate with those drivers in real time when they're out on the road. Um, and we allow them to notify customers automatically based on the driver's 
status and location so that the customer is ready um, to receive the delivery when the driver right. shows up. And, and you know, in the, in the alcohol delivery industry, it's especially important because a signature is needed upon delivery. Right. Um, and, uh, and we now actually offer contactless signatures so the recipient can sign on their own device and not have to interact with the driver's device. Um, we came out with that feature, you know, or back in, in April um, after the pandemic hit. But, you know, the, the, the driver still needs to wait um, for, for that confirmation before they can drive off, drive off um, regardless. So, you know, and if the recipient isn't waiting for the driver um, to show up because they've received the tracking link and the notifications, then the driver ends up waiting for the recipient. And that's money. Um, and so, you know, you don't want the driver waiting for five minutes for the recipient because they're on the toilet. Um, and even worse, you don't want a failed delivery attempt um, because the recipient doesn't even answer the door. So we sort of facilitate all of all of that and all of these things kind of add up to improving the efficiency in order for our customers to keep to keep up with growing demand. OK, so a lot of it is taking out that extra timing. Mm hmm. Yep. Yep. So yeah. say you did all that and you work together to build to integrate a technology into someone's operations, someone like sourced, what if it doesn't go right and it's not a fit? Yeah. Um, you know, we've, we've all, we've been through this before as, as a customer of several vendors, you know, we, we obviously use a lot of different tools and, you know, it can be a bit painful because it's essentially wasted time and money that, that could have potentially been avoided had we sort of built, you know, that checklist and, and sort of done everything as, as, as I had, discussed before but obviously um you know it, it happens no matter how much you know how hard you try um so you know even though it's obviously best avoided it does happen and then you know i think the first step is sort of communicating openly with with the vendor so it's, it's always a good idea to be transparent and you know sometimes what you what you really need actually does exist in the product but it might just be hidden or in private beta or, you know, potentially on the roadmap or being in development already. So, um, or even in, in another pricing tier, you might not, you know, have access to that, that feature. So if, if what you need isn't, isn't really, you can't find it in the product, then, you know, there might be, um, it might be worth having a conversation with, with the vendor. Um, Cause there might, there might also be a simple workaround um, right. that other companies, you know, chances are the vendor has um, had, had, uh, other customers ask about the same thing. And, you know, if not, they might be able to build something easily to accommodate your use case better. So, you know, I think before making a decision to, you know, look elsewhere or um, try and build something internal, it's important to have kind of an open line with the customer success team. At OnFleet, we have a customer success team that is in close communications with um, many of our customers. Um, and it's also, I think the next thing is it's important to make sure it's not a process issue, um, on, on the client side. So, you know, really ensuring that it's a software issue. Um, you know, we've done that before too, as customers, we spent a lot of time switching tools when the fundamental problem was, was one of process rather than technology. So, um, that, you know, that's, that's something to think about. And then of course, if it's really not the best fit, then, you know, share, share feedback with the company and, and move on. Right. Well, thank you so much for coming to talk to us today. I think it's so interesting to hear the other side of it, to get both sides of the story of how technology is integrated into a business, because you don't really think about it. You think about these systems already set up and in place 
but what goes, what happens when everything's changing and you're really bringing on this new technology that can upset the daily, daily life of the employee? Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Brielle. Good to be yeah. on the show. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Okay, thank you everyone uh, for listening to today's episode and for our guests for coming on the show. Tune in every Tuesday for our episodes of Link by Food Logistics and Supply and Demand Chain Executive. And do not forget to hit subscribe on the Spotify, Apple, and Google playlist apps so you never miss an episode. We have a few more spirits and alcohol episodes for this month coming at you. And then we're also kickstarting uh, Link Educate back up, so don't miss those on Thursdays. Have a good day, everyone.